end like that. Marriage doesn't have to start with somebody walking down the aisle, and it doesn't have to end with somebody walking down the sidewalk after dropping off your kids to your ex-spouse. And maybe as you watch that video today, you can totally relate to the characters in that film. They say, man, I've been there. I've done that. I know what it's like to have a relationship end painfully. Maybe as you watched it, you said, you know, I'm not there, but if I'm being honest, Jason, I could see, my, I could see us getting there because it's not going good. It's not heading in the right direction. Maybe you watch it today and, and, and you think, man, we're not even close to being there, but here's what I know. I don't want to get there. I don't want to be there. That's not how I want marriage to look when it's all said and done. I'm really glad that you're here today because it doesn't have to be that way. That's what this series is really all about, that we don't believe that great marriages just kind of accidentally happen. And, and we wholeheartedly believe that it is possible for you to love one person and be happily married to one person for the rest of your life. That it's not only just possible, but it's, that it's what God wants for your life. It's what he wants, and it's what we want. And for Andrea and I, 2014 was just a tough year uh, in, in kind of our circle of relationships and sphere of relationships because it seemed like we were getting phone call after phone call or having dinner with couple after couple after couple who was saying to us after kind of in our flow of life being married 5, 7, 10, 14 years, after say, and, and they're just saying to us, you know what, we're, we're not going to be married anymore. We've decided we're going to separate. We've decided we're going to get divorced. In one two-week span, we got five phone calls from five different couples. And Andrea looked at me one day and she said, does everybody get divorced? She, she looked at me and she said, it, it, I mean, is it possible in this particular instance, it, it was something having to do with the guy? And she said to me, she said, I mean, do men just not want to be married forever? And I'm so glad that you're here because what you're saying by being here is you're saying, you know what, I want God's best for me. I want God's best for my marriage. So that's what we're going to do in this series. Today we're going to start with kind of a foundational piece, but this is a five-week series. And all of these messages build on each other. And so I'm asking you as your pastor to be here these five weeks. I'm especially going to just right now call out the guys. Come on, guys. Football season's over. All right, come on. Get out of bed. Come to church. It'll mean the world to your family. Come on and get here. These next five weeks, all right, I'm asking you to make it a, a commitment because we're going to build on each other. And I believe that every single thing that we're going to say and every single thing that we're going to learn together is going to help us to have the kind of marriages that God wants us to have, all right? So next week, Andrew and I are going to be teaching together, and I'm going to be talking to wives and we're going to be talking about what every husband wishes he could tell his wife. Okay? It's going to be good. It's going to be, it's going to be interesting. All right? And they can't tell you because you get mad and cry and get defensive at them. So I'm going to tell you for them, and then you can be mad at me. Okay? That's what we've decided we're going to do. All right? And then the, the third week, Andrew and I are going to be up here together, and she's going to be talking to the men, and she's going to be talking about what every wife wishes she could tell her husband, and fellas, you know, wear, wear a face mask, because it's coming, all right, with a Louisville slugger, she's ready, she's loaded with what 
uh, wives wish they could tell their husbands. It's going to be great. Uh, I've, heard, I've got to hear a lot of it. It's going to be really good. So I want you to be here for that. The fourth week, we're going to talk, how, talk about how to fight. We're not going to tell you not to fight. We're going to tell you how to fight because it's going to happen. So we're going to talk about fighting. And then the last week, we're just going to answer any and all questions that, that, that we have about marriage and, and anything we couldn't get to. So those are the five weeks. That's what we're going to be doing during this series. And today, I want to start by talking to you about what to do when you've lost the loving feeling. What do you do when you don't love your spouse anymore? What do you do when you don't really like your spouse anymore? What do you do when the infatuation is over? What do you do when you're not impressed by them anymore? What do you do when it's just not there? It was there at one time. It's just not there anymore. And here's a better question. How does that even happen? How is it that you can be completely infatuated and impressed with one person and they can do no wrong and then eventually get to the point where that person gets on your nerves more than any other human being alive on the planet? You know what I'm talking about, right? And as a pastor, I get to see both sides of the coin because Andrea and I do a lot of premarital counseling with couples And we will see two people who love each other more than anybody else in the world. There is, you know, even when we bring up things that might be an issue the first year in the relationship, they're like, yeah, not us. We got it. I mean, they're just, they're ready to attack life. They love each other. They're infatuated with each other. They love each other so much, it's sickening, right? And then I get to see the other side of the spectrum where the marriage isn't going good and I'll see two people sitting in my office or across a, a dinner table, and I, in premarital counseling, see two people who love each other more than anybody else in the world, and then in that setting, I see two people who hate each other more than they hate anybody else in the world. Nobody makes them more angry than their spouse does. Nobody infuriates them more. Nobody is able to hurt them more than their spouse. How do we get to that place? How does that happen? How do we go from totally infatuated to to, to feeling like it was one of the worst decisions we ever made in our life? Well, I believe there is a process. There's there's kind of a death road we go down, a slide that we go down in our relationships. And and I want to give you kind of these phases. The first phase is infatuation. We've been talking about that. We all know what infatuation is. Infatuation is the butterflies. Infatuation is the, oh my gosh, they're the most incredible person ever. Infatuation is when you come home and you say, I know I say this about every single one, but they're the one. They're the one. I know that. They're the one. And your friends roll their eyes like, yeah, okay, there's the one. That's the infatuation phase. And scientifically, it's proven that during the infatuation phase, your brain doesn't work right. It's true. That the chemicals in your brain during infatuation make you stupid. That's why you make awful decisions, guy. Right? That, that's why you, you know, buy stuff you can't afford. That's why you do stuff that you can't explain. Like, you, my mom told me growing up, um, I started dating, and, and here's what my mom told me. She said, don't ever tell a girl you love her for the first time at nighttime. Because you don't know if you mean it at nighttime. She said, when it's midnight and you're cuddled up on the couch, you don't know. She said, but if you can tell a girl you love her like 1.30 in the afternoon, you love her. That's what I remember my mom telling me that. It's good advice. And so we have this infatuation phase, three days, three weeks, three months, three years, whatever it is. And that person, we can't even, it's not that we see their faults and don't care. It's that we can't even see their faults. They're perfect. 
There's nobody else in the world like them. There's never been. There will never be. We are infatuated. That lasts for a, a season of time, a period of time. And the infatuation phase moves into the agitation phase. And the agitation phase is where you begin to notice some of the little things. It's not the end of the world. It's no big deal. They're still incredible. But you never noticed before how much he liked his mom. You know, like it's more than you realized, you know. You, you, never, you never noticed the way that they talked like that. You, you never noticed how many hours they worked. But now you notice it's not the end of the world, no big deal. But I, I you know, it bugs me a little bit, I, I guess. If you're really asking, I mean, I guess it bugs me a little bit. But it's not that big a deal. They have so many more positives than they do negatives. It's no big deal. If you hang out in the agitation phase long enough, the agitation phase turns into the frustration phase. And the frustration phase is where the agitations are not cute anymore. And now you're getting really, really frustrated about those things that bother you. You brought it up during the agitation phase. Can you please stop putting your dirty underwear there? They go here. It's six inches away. It goes right here. Just put it in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I'll do that next time. And then you come in the next time and you see them there. And, and it, it, it's infuriating. Why aren't they listening why aren't they paying attention? Like, what's going on? The frustration phase is when you maybe start or maybe stop giving them the benefit of the doubt a little bit. They should know better. Why are they still doing this? Why are they still saying that? Don't they understand that I don't want them to do this or this hurts me or whatever it is? It's starting to get more serious. And now it's not that you think they have more positives than they do negatives. Now you're thinking maybe it's like 50-50. If you get the good side of them, they're great. If you get the bad side of them, they're not so great. You hang out in the frustration phase long enough, you're going to get to the phase of anger and hurt. And you'll find yourself getting angry and yelling and fighting about something that started out as something small, but what you realize is while you're fighting and yelling, all of the anger and hurt begins to come out of your mouth from your heart of all the other stuff that's piled up because you are angry and you feel hurt. The anger and hurt stage is where people begin to walk out of the front door and take three-hour drives to calm down before they come back home. The anger and the hurt stage is where doors start getting slammed. It's, it's where maybe we start contemplating whether or not we want to be in that relationship. And if you hang out in the anger and the hurt phase for long enough you're going to end up in the resentment phase. And by the time you get to the resentment phase, you don't have enough energy to fight anymore. You don't have any more tears to cry anymore. You just know that you hate them. You resent them. They can do no right. They can't apologize. It doesn't matter. I just can't stand you. And we didn't get there overnight. We just kind of gradually worked through the phases till we got to the point to where we can't stand the person that we look across the table and see. And I don't begin to assume that that's where we're all at here today. I don't think that's the case. I think there are some of us in the room that that's where we're at. And as I've been praying and fasting and thinking about this series, I've been praying, God, let there be some couples who are ready to throw in the towel, but they're going to give this one more try so they walk in here and the Holy Spirit's going to do something incredible in your life. But I know that in the room, there's all sorts of different people on different phases 
uh, uh, different parts of the phases, different spectrums here, all throughout that. And here's what I want you to be able to do. I want you to be able to stop sliding. I want to keep you from getting to the resentment phase. I want to keep you from working down this death slide and keep you from going there and really embrace the kind of marriage that God wants you to have. So what do we do? You say, Jason, I'm in the anger and hurt phase. Jason, I'm in the resentment phase. I'm in the, the heavy frustration phase. What do we do when we've lost the love and feeling? Because what was crazy about the phone calls that we were getting in 2014, the dinners that we were having, what was crazy about that in 2014 is nobody was saying, hey, he or she cheated on me. Nobody was saying he or she abused me. Because you hear that and you go, yeah, I get it, man. I wish you could work it out, but I get it. It was just people that we know and love and have grown up with and have spent time with saying to us, we just don't love each other anymore. I don't want to come home from work anymore. It's more work to go home than it is to stay at work. Like we just don't love each other anymore. Is it possible to get it back? Is it possible once you lose the love and feeling, is it possible once you cross the line to where you don't feel it anymore and maybe you don't even like them, is it possible to get it back? Well, I believe it is, and I actually believe that Jesus tells us how to do it. In John chapter 13, I want to read a passage of scripture to you. John chapter 13, verse 34. I'm going to read a scripture to you, and when I read it, it's going to be a disappointment. That's odd. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that about the Bible. But when I read this verse, you're going to go, that's it? Like, wouldn't it be so awesome if there was a verse in the Bible where it was like, and once you don't love your spouse anymore, thou saith the Lord, by this book, do this, say this. Like, gave us a script, like, walk home, guy, and say this, right? That's not what it says. But Jesus is talking to a group of people and he's talking about loving each other in like kind of in a, in a love the world, love your brother kind of way. But what he says directly applies to a marriage romance type of love. In John chapter 13, verse 34, here's what it says. It says, so now, Jesus says this, I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. That's it. That's all we get. Like, isn't that kind of disappointing? Like, thanks, Jay. So you've identified that we don't love each other anymore, and your advice, the Bible verse you found for me was love each other? That's what, like, you need to study a little harder for your sermons. Like, that's not very good at all, and I understand what you mean, but we could read this verse and, and totally miss what Jesus is saying because this sentence that we just read, this passage that we just read is incredibly profound. When you're skimming across it and you're just reading through it, you, don't, you probably don't see it. But the verse that we just read tells us how to get the love and feeling back. The verse that we just read tells us how to feel love again. Look at it. John 13, 34. So now I am giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. See it? Caught it yet? Now, I'm not an English teacher. I'm married to an English teacher. And so I don't take a lot of, I don't get a lot of excitement out of breaking down grammar for you, but let me just do this for a second. I want to point out to you what Jesus has done in John chapter 13, verse 34. 
Because it's the key to everything. It's the key to this whole series. It's the foundational piece to this whole series. In verse 34, Jesus makes love not a noun. He makes it a verb. Jesus makes love a verb. Look at what he said. He said, so now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Not love the person, place, or thing. He says, love, the action, the verb, the doing, love each other, just as I have, not noun, love, but the action, loved you, you should, verb, love each other, the action of loving. It's not a noun, it's not a verb. Maybe you still don't understand. Jesus is saying, love is something that you do, it's not something that you have. Let me show you what I mean. Andrea, come help me up here for a second, please. This represents love, right? This is love. We feel it, we fall into it, we fall out of it. Scoot over here a little bit and get in the light. There you go, thank you so much. We fall, you know, this is love. And so for so many of us, this is the way that it works. We're at college, we're walking across campus freshman year. Coming our way is the most beautiful lady we have ever seen before. It's love at first sight or something like that. We don't know what it is, but we go up. I go up. I talk to her. I invite her out for a date. I put all of everything I got into it. You know, she says yes. I go out on the date, first date, second date, third date. This is going incredibly well. We are infatuated with each other. She thinks I'm incredible. I think she's incredible. And somewhere around date four or five, I don't know how long you guys waited, but somewhere around date four or five, I say to her, I don't know if I should say this or not, but I think I love you. And she looks back at me and she says, I think I love you too. And all of a sudden now we've declared it and we have love. We are in love. Love the noun. Here it is. We've got it. We date. It goes on for a little while. I buy a ring because I love her. I buy a ring I can't afford because I love her. I ask her to marry me. Of course she says yes. We're in love. We get married. We buy a house. We get a dog. She comes home one day because we're in love. I mean, we're broke the first year, but we eat spaghetti every night. All sorts of sex. It's incredible. And we're in love. <laughs> spaghetti and sex, year one. Come on. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. And so everybody says the first year is really hard. I think it's because of all the spaghetti, to be honest with you. It's like, that's all we got. It's spaghetti. All right, anyway, so... Um, so we, she comes home one day, she's crying with excitement, she says, I have something to tell you, I'm pregnant, oh my gosh, this is incredible, we're having a baby, we're in love, we've got the house, one kid, we need a minivan, so we get a minivan, and, and we're, and man, life is awesome, and, and, and she's staying home with the baby, and I'm working, and, and we're, we're, we're making it, we're doing good. We still love to come home and sit on the couch and talk about our day, and we love to go make dinner in the kitchen, but then we start kissing in the kitchen, and we get, don't make dinner, and we burn the food in the oven, but it's all right, because we've got love. You know what I'm talking about? And that goes on for a while. I don't know how long it goes on, but that goes on a while 
But then things began to change. After the baby, we weren't allowed to have sex for a while. And then when we could, it wasn't the same anymore. And then now she's mom. And then she's nursing. And then that's just a whole other thing. And then she cares about the kid more than she cares about me. I tell my daughter I love her more than I tell her that I love her. You know what I'm talking about? And she starts saying, how come you can't love me like you love her? And she's bringing the baby into the bed because the baby cries at night. I don't ever get to feel her anymore. I have a baby in between us. You know what I'm talking about? And we still love each other. And those are things that people in love do and struggle and face. But now it just doesn't feel the same anymore. It's different. It's different. But it's okay. We'll make it. But then my boss says to me, hey, listen, I need you to work a little extra because there's a promotion opportunity possibly coming your way. So instead of getting home at 5 or 5.30, now I'm getting home at 6 or 6.30. I've never missed dinner before, but now dinner's wrapped up in wrap in the fridge waiting on me. I work on some projects to try to catch up. She already goes to bed. Then we start a new habit where she falls asleep before I ever go to bed, which usually means less sex. I mean, we're still in love. We've got love. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's we, I love her. I don't not love her. I mean, I take care of her. She's my wife. I told her I loved her when I married her. I'll let her know if I change my mind. You ever heard that one, right? I mean, I haven't changed my mind. We love each other. But then we start fighting more. I don't know why we're fighting more. We're fighting more. Little things. That stuff didn't used to bother her before, but now she's nagging me all the time. I want to go out with my friends. I don't know why she cares so much. We go out with my friends. And one day I wake up and I begin to th- I think something I've never thought before. I'm having this, cro- this thought has never crossed my mind before. And I think to myself, I wonder what it would be like to not be married to her. Or maybe she wakes up one morning and thinks a thought she's never thought before. She says, I wonder what being married to somebody else would feel like. Would it be better than this? We don't tell each other we've been thinking that because you could never say that. But things just grow distant. And now we've moved into like, I mean, we love each other. And gosh, do we love our kids because we've got like three more of those now. And we love our kids. I'm working hard to put them in private school. And, you know, she's doing the best she can. And we turn into incredible teammate, roommate, parents. But all of a sudden, it just, we don't love each other anymore. I don't feel it. There's no romance there. There's no love. I don't want to come home and talk to her about my day. I mean, I can talk her into sex every now and then, but it's lifeless. It doesn't mean anything, really. I'm the only one enjoying it. She cares about the kids way more than she cares about me, and we, we lost it. We lost love, the noun, the thing that you fall into and the thing that you fall out of. We lost it. And then... Something crazy begins to happen because I begin to think about who, what kind of person I would rather be with than her. Now, we're not split up. God, I would never do that to the kids. I'm at work, and there's a new lady at work, and she's attractive. And 
I'd go the long way around the office to go to the bathroom to pass her desk. And I'm scrolling through Facebook and I'm seeing somebody I dated in high school and I think to myself, like, what would it be like to be married to them? Did you know in the last five years, the number two or three most popular reason for divorce written down is Facebook? And Facebook's not the problem, so don't make him get off Facebook, you know, lady. It's not the problem. It's that when this is not right, I go there, and I think about the one that I let get away, what that would be like, what it would be like to be with them and not have kids because these kids are getting on my ever-loving nerves. And so whether it's at the office or a restaurant or somebody that I find on Facebook, I start to feel infatuation with them. And we start going down a path, and it's incredible, and it's exciting, and it is way better than what I had over there. Because that over there, that's work. That over there, that's a headache. That's a hassle. That's nagging. This is incredible. She really sees me for who I really am. She really respects me. She really is impressed by me. This doesn't feel like work. This is easy. This is how it's supposed to be. This is what love feels like. This is, this is the real thing. But here's what we all know to be true, and maybe we've gone down the path. Maybe our friend has gone down the path. Maybe somebody we love has gone down the path. The path never changes. Infatuation, to agitation, to frustration, to anger and hurt, to resentment. Because as long as you view love as a thing, as long as you view love as a noun, something that you have but then you don't have it, something that you fall into but then you fall out of it, something that you, know, you feel but you don't feel it anymore, as long as you view love as a noun, I will promise you there will come a day you don't have it anymore. You don't feel it anymore. It's not like it was anymore. And Jesus says in John chapter 13, verse 34, that we have to love each other. So in other words, we find ourselves, well, we have to make a decision. Do I want to chase the new thing that feels awesome and is more attractive and is funny and like, you know, this? Or do I want to work on what I already have that God has given me and every single time, this seems way easier than working on this. Because the biggest lie that we've ever been told is that what we're missing out on is better than what we currently have. But Jesus says in John chapter 13, he says, love is not a noun. Love is a verb. Love is not something that you have. It's not a person, place, or a thing. It's something that you do. So in other words, I don't, I don't love my spouse like we were the, the lucky ones who, who bumped into it. Love is something I do, so I'm loving my spouse. It's a verb, right? I, 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 I love her. I give love to her. And when I give love to her and she gives love to me, that's love. Are you understand what I'm saying? It's not something that you have and you drop it. It's something that you give. It's something that you receive. And so you say, Jason, I just don't love my spouse anymore. That's not the point. The question is, do you love? Are you loving your spouse? Well, I can't because I don't love them. No, no, no. You think you have to have it before you give it. That's not the way that it works. You don't, it's not something you have, it's something you give. 
Well, I don't love them anymore. That's not what I asked. I said, are you loving them? Well, I can't love them because we're not in love. That's not what I said. I said, are you loving them? Are you loving them? Because love is a verb. Everybody give Andrea a hand. Great job, Andrea. Love is a verb. It's something you do. It's something you give. And as I say that, some of you are sitting here today and you're like, that was clever. Thank you for the red ball illustration, Jason. You don't know my spouse. Okay? I've been trying that for 15 years. All he does is take, 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 take. That doesn't work for us. Yeah, yeah, we tried that, Jason. But she just nags and nags and nags and nags and nags. That's not the way that it works for us. That's cute. You and Andrea have that. That's great. But that's not the way that it works for us. The point of today, the big idea, the foundational piece for everything we're going to do over the next five weeks is this. To feel love, you have to give love the way your spouse feels most loved. To feel love, you've got to give love the way your spouse feels most loved. You want to feel it? you got to give it. But you can't give it the way that you want to receive it. You've got to give it the way that they want to receive it. To feel love, you've got to give love the way your spouse feels most loving. You say, well, Jason, that's great, but you're not married to who I'm married to. They're almost impossible to love. Love is a choice. It's an action. I want to read Philippians chapter 2, verse 2 through 5. Paul is talking about love in general again, like Jesus was, but what he's saying directly applies to romance relationships. Philippians 2, 2-5, he says, Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together. He, did, he made it a verb again. He didn't say have love. He said loving one another and working, action, work, give, take, effort, together, with one mind and purpose, don't be selfish. Just go ahead and elbow the person you're sitting beside. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your interests. It's always crazy to me when somebody, when I'm doing some counseling or something, they say, well, I, I'm just not interested in what they're interested in. Okay. Find something interesting. Well, you're, you're saying it like, it's not possible. Go find an interest. He says, don't look out for only your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Listen, he gives us the formula. The way to make sure you don't slide down the path. The way to make sure that you don't end up at resentment, walking away from a door where you dropped off a kid with somebody you used to love but now you hate. Look what he says. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. It's not do unto others as they do unto you. It's do unto others as you want them or as you would have them do unto you. Think of them as better than yourselves. They're better than me. They deserve it more than me. Don't look out only for your interests, 
but actually take an interest in them and what they're doing and what they're working on. And, right? And then he says, you must have the same attitude as Christ Jesus. And that last statement is so important because if you're in the room and you say, I just can't do that because, Jason, I'm afraid that if I do that, then the person I'm married to won't reciprocate. Like, they're just going to take, 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 take. I'm going to give, 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 and they're going to take. And he says, I want you to be like Christ was because what did Christ do? Christ gave and gave and gave and gave. And what do we do? We take and take and take and take and take. And he gives and he gives and he gives and he gives and we take and we take and we take and, he, and we take. And I don't mean to be depressing and I don't like, want you to feel hopeless, but here's what I'm telling you. I'm telling you that it may take you longer than you think and it may not be what you think it will be in your head. But Paul says, when you find yourself in a place to where you aren't being selfish, you aren't looking to your own interests, you are valuing them as more important than you are, and you're still not getting back what you want, be like Jesus and do it anyway. And I can only think of one example, and all the couples I've met with, counseled with, talked to, watched and seen, I can only think of one example where I watched a lady do everything that she could to, to model that to her husband and to live that, and he was just a loser, and, and, and it just didn't work. Every single time I see someone giving love the way their spouse feels most loved. This incredible reciprocal mutual cycle begins to happen. And all of a sudden this relationship that felt lifeless and had no spark and had no love begins to feel love. Feel it again. Why? Because they gave love. The verb, not the noun. They gave love the way their spouse felt and feels the most loved. They felt it again. You lost it. The noun, you say, I lost it, we'll never get it back. It's not something that you go find. It's something that you do. You wake up tomorrow and you say, you know what? I'm going to love you. Not I have or don't have love for you. Today, Monday morning, I'm deciding I am loving you the way you feel the most loved. When you walk out of here today, I'm asking every married couple in the room to take one of these cards. They'll be handing them out as you walk out. And each week as you leave, we're going to give you some conversation starters We'd love for you to talk about on the way home or maybe when the kids are not going crazy, you put them to bed and you say, you know what, we're going to designate 30 minutes to, to talk about this. There's two questions on this card that I want you to ask today to each other and both of you get to answer both of these. And the other person is not allowed to tell you that your answer is wrong because it's based on how you feel. And when you get asked about how you feel, how you feel is how you feel. So that means you're right, okay? Here's what it says. Number one, what am I currently doing that makes you feel the least loved? Because remember what we said, to feel love, you got to give love the way your spouse feels most loved. So the first question is, what am I currently doing that makes you feel least loved? Ask the question and shut up. And let them talk. And when they answer, you don't get to go, but no, that's not true. I don't do that. 
either you do it or you do something that makes them feel like you do it and they feel least loved. They're right, you're wrong. Regardless, shut up and listen, okay? Just let them talk. And then you get to answer. And you're not allowed to say, well, it makes me feel least loved when you make up things that I do to question number one, all right? That you don't get to say that, all right? But there is something your spouse does that makes, it's not that it bugs you, it's that it makes you feel unloved. Tell them, tell them. And then question number two is, what am I currently doing or can start doing to make you feel more loved? What am I currently doing or what can I start doing to make you feel more loved? Ask the question and shut up. And when they say something, don't go, oh my gosh, are you serious? You know how much that costs? Listen, wife, I know you already think you know what he's going to say to number two, okay? Do it anyway, okay? Do it anyway. And here's what I know to be 100% true. If you'll stop doing number one and you'll start doing number two, you'll feel love again. If you'll stop doing number one and you'll start doing number two, you will stop the slide that you're on down towards resentment and you'll start going back towards love, feeling it, having it, spark. Wow, look at my wife over there. Whoa, yeah, there it is, right? Stop doing one, start doing two. Okay? I love you. My, my heart my heart is for your marriage to be stinking incredible. I get to do a lot of things as a pastor, but Andrea and I, if we had to handpick one or two, maybe three things that like we love to do, that we feel like God has called us to do, a purpose in our life, it's to help people's marriages. We love it. We love it. And we're not experts, and we don't have all the answers by any means, but I want your marriage to thrive. I want it to thrive. I want you to love the person that you're married to. I want you to be glad you married them. I want you to be able to honestly tell them, you know what, if I could do it all over again, I'd do it again, I'd just do it faster. Right? That's what I want for you. So today, make sure you get those cards when you leave. And listen, get in a marriage group. Get in a marriage group. As you're walking out today, all five of our marriage group leaders are going to be lined up across the back and they're going to be holding up a sign with the day of the, the week that they meet on. Okay? And you decide which one you want to do. And you go talk to them. There's no sign-up form or anything. You just go talk to them. They'll give you information about their group. They'll tell you times. Child care is provided at all groups. You may have to pitch in a little money, but child care is provided. And, you know, you're going to do a meal together. Just, it's just going to be good people hanging out. Get in one of those groups. They're all the same. They're covering the same stuff. You just pick the night and the location that works for you. All right? Let's work as hard as we can to have the best marriages that we can feel love we got to give love the way our spouse feels most loved bow your heads let's pray God I pray for every relationship in the room all along the spectrum God I pray for those who this may be their last week before they sign the papers I pray for those God who or trying to decide what the future is going to look like. I pray for those, God, who maybe are in the middle of the process or maybe they're early on in the process and they can't even comprehend that they would end up in a bad place. But God, 
I, I pray for every relationship and that the Holy Spirit would speak to us this morning, put that truth in our hearts and give us the courage to do what needs to be done. We wouldn't just hear it and let it go out in one ear and out the other, but that, Jesus, you would let this be day one to a fresh start, a brand new beginning to a thriving relationship that you want us to have in our lives. Pray for every man in the room, God. We would step up and step into the role that you have us to play. We'd get our families to church. We'd get our spouse to church the next five weeks, four more weeks, God. Holy Spirit would begin to do something life-changing in the husbands and dads in this room, God. Nobody looking around, everybody heads bowed, eyes closed. I know today we've specifically been talking about marriage and I haven't really mentioned anything about having a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, but we believe that in moments like this, the Holy Spirit can, can kind of do the explaining and convincing for us, that maybe you're here today and you felt like that God kind of brought you here, drew you into this church. And in just a second, I'm going to ask you if you want to give your life to Jesus Christ. We're not going to have you stand up or come down front. We're not going to embarrass you, I promise. Nobody's looking around but me. We're just going to pray a simple prayer together. But if that's you and you would say, Jason, I don't even know how to fully explain it, but I want to give my life to Jesus Christ today. Commit my life to him. Ask him to be the Lord and Savior of my life. If that's you, would you just lift your hand and make eye contact with me? Nobody's looking around. You just say, yeah, Jay, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to follow him tired of living for me, ready to live for him, do it his way. Just a few more moments. Anybody would say, I'm ready to give my life to Jesus Christ. Follow him. God, I thank you that you call us, empower us, and teach us everything that we need to know to have the thriving marriage you want us to have. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said amen. Will you stand up with me this morning? The band's going to lead us in one more song together. Don't slide out just yet, but they're going to lead us in one more song, and then you're going to have a chance to get in one of those marriage groups and get those cards as you leave, all right? I love you. Come on, let's sing.